This is the Shift Podcast. On the Shift Daily Podcast, coming up for you, are you okay with beavers? Mm-hmm, we do, are you okay? And I got to warn you on the podcast, there is the are you okay with the UFC and the broken legs thing. Just so you know, it's a little bit of who. But it is coming up on the podcast too. Handy Andy Barrar was on the shift and he's on the podcast. So is Dwayne Bratt. He explains federalism and how it can be good and how it can be bad with all kinds of different examples from all the different provinces. Interesting stuff. Are you okay? Should we do some are you okay, fellows? Yeah. I'm okay with that. Are you okay with are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay? Are you okay with minors buying beer, Brendan? No. Minors buying beer. Are you talking about like, you know, metal miners or um, miners of precious metals? Those types? Then yeah. They need that. (laughs) They need beer. That's a tough job. Yeah. That's fair. uh, That's a good point. I can't tell you. It's spelt with an O, but I don't really trust the spelling. Just saying. Yeah, you've got no reason. Offense, Ryan. Yeah. I've got reason to not trust it. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that's fair. No. None taken. <laughs> fair. Uh, you know, I, I think I had my first alcoholic beverage at 16 and, you know, high school parties, but that was it. And, uh, but I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> I probably should have just waited a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't buy, I would like, I would never boot for anybody. I don't think I would do that. Yeah. I, I would suggest that, uh, you know, miners buying beer is probably bad for the most part. Cause I would suggest that if, if miners are drinking, I would hope that their parents know about it. God, that was very old dad parenty of me, but you know, my son is 16 now. So he's at that age where, you know, the, the parties are happening. And so the question is, is can you have a conversation with your kids and be like, you know, I would wrap my dad bought me my first six pack. When I went to a party. So I did it with my parents' permission. That was a pretty good way to do it. You know what I mean? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Well, a social experiment from 2014 has resurfaced online um, following several mass shootings in the United States. Now, what does that have to do with minors buying beer? This. In the social experiment, a 13-year-old boy down in the United States is shown buying a weapon with no hassle. So after being turned down for a whole host of other age-restricted items. So the 13-year-old boy went shopping for things that he was not supposed to be able to buy. So who let him buy what? That's the curious part. The video uh, audio from this video originally from a 2014 segment of HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Give it a listen. Stop at the convenience store to see Jack try to buy beer. The cashier can't believe he even tried. At the next door, Jack tries to buy cigarettes with no luck. Later, he strikes out trying to buy Racy Magazine. All right, okay, thank you. And then lottery tickets. Can I get a couple of scratch offs? How old are you? You got your ID? 13. You what? I'm 13. You can't get no scratch off, baby. Okay. <laughs> All right, thank you. It's laughable to everyone here the idea that we'd ever expose a 13-year-old to the dangers of a lottery ticket. But then we arrive here at the gun show. It should shoot pretty good for you. I'll take it. Within minutes, the 13-year-old easily and legally bought a 22 caliber rifle from a private seller and walked away with it. You can't buy scratch-offs, baby. I like that lady. 
Yeah. And thank God that's, that's what she did. She took the stand, right? So you can't buy the lottery tickets. You can't buy the beer. He walks into a gun show at 13 years old and gets sold a rifle. So now, in that context, you're so worried about them buying beer? <laughs> huh. Oh, I mean, there's so much going on there. It's hard to even unpack it, really. It's just, mm. it's just kind of disappointing, really. Uh, even it's always kind of jarring to me that you know, in the states, you can't buy a beer at 18, but you can pick up a gun and go fight for your country. That that's one thing that's always been like, really. I always thought that 18 was a, f- a really fair age for drinking, or 19 at the latest, uh, like most of uh, Canada, but. Man, a gun at 13? I understand if your dad has one and he lets you shoot his gun, but me owning a gun at 13? Do you want to know what guns I had when I was 13? A Nerf gun. That was way more fun, and I could actually have fun with that and play with that. But no, this is ridiculous, man. That's disappointing. It doesn't surprise me. I'm I'm half American. I've got a U.S. citizenship, and it's a conservative... Parts of it are conservative culture that embraces firearms so yeah it doesn't well, I have no me. problem i have no problem with firearms Neither i just I, have really. I, I have uh you know the automatic weapons yes and i have a problem with um a 13 year old being able to buy it i have a problem with that man and his ethics selling that to a kid but again ryan just said it it's kind of like the drinking beer conversation was it's different if your dad buys you the beer and you have beers at 17 with mom and dad's permission or whatever, right? Like, I'm not saying it's legal. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying you should do it. But there's a big difference between sneaking around to buy beers and having beers with your parents' permission. And the fact that a 13-year-old kid walks into a gun show and he's like, yeah, should you be able to shoot good? Like, that that's what he has to say, not like, hey, are your folks cool with this, young fella? Like, I don't know. That's disturbing. So in the context of all that, I mean, I would choose the beer at this point, but are you, oh, you know what? Let's not even do that. Let's just get right into this out of context clip here. Nice beaver. Thank you. Oh, my. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. <laughs> I, I love that movie. <laughs> I, um, I saw that on the, the list of the, the movies when I was looking for shows to watch this weekend and I was going to watch it for everybody who doesn't know, Ryan, what movie is that from? Oh, that is The Naked Gun, starring Canada's funniest son, Leslie Nielsen. I was scrolling through and I saw it and I was like, I should probably just watch Naked Gun just so I can tell Ryan I watched Naked Gun this weekend. (laughs) Are you okay? Are you okay with beavers? Yeah, there's some kind of national animal, right? They're Mm -hmm. a rallying point. And Roots Clothing? Oh, now that is comfy. And the little beaver logo, I love it. So look great. Beaver tails are delicious. It's a cool national animal. And they can do crazy stuff. Like beaver dams, they're so smart. They're so smart. Can we clarify that when you say beaver tails are delicious, you're talking about the pastry? Oh, no, I was talking about real beavers. You got to try it. Of course, yes, the pastry. (laughs) Yes, maple syrup with syrup and more syrup. Yeah. Oh, brown sugar. Mm, so good. Okay, mm. beavers are cool. Uh, they are smart, like Ryan just said, except when they mess with our Wi-Fi. Over the weekend, a group of eager beavers shut down Internet service in a B.C. town after they chewed through the fiber optic cables instead of chewing through the wood. <laughs> oh, damn. 
<laughs> There's a dad joke for you. <laughs> oh, more dad jokes coming at you. Thank you, Ryan. According to CBS News, the outage wreaked havoc on the Internet, cable television, and local cell phone service for about a 1,000 TELUS customers in Tumblr Ridge, a town with only about 2,000 people. TELUS describes the 36-hour outage as a very rare and uniquely Canadian disruption. Um, TELUS spokesperson Liz Sovey told CBS, which is funny that it's CBS, our team of... Im- our team immediately worked to identify the location of the damage and discovered that the cause of the fiber cut is fairly unique. Beavers have chewed through our fiber cable on multiple points, causing extensive damage. Our team located a nearby dam, damn it, and it appears that the beavers dug underground alongside the alongside the creek to reach our cable, which is buried about three feet underground and protected by a four-and-a-half-inch thick conduit. Service was first interrupted on Saturday, finally restored on Sunday. And uh, since this happened, by the way, uh, Rogers has since come out and said, oh, yeah, a beaver did ours, too. Yeah. That last part I made up. That's not real news. Just to clarify. <laughs> Although, <laughs> meh. Why not? Maybe it was a moose. Maybe they'll blame a moose for theirs. Okay. Um, I don't even know what time it is right now. What time is it? Oh, we're good. This, uh, this is a disgusting are you okay? I'm just going to put that out there right now. Thanks for the heads this, up. This is disgusting, and if you're squeamish, I'm apologizing in advance for this. Are you okay? Are you okay with the UFC? Not really, no. I've never really got it. I, I don't know. I, You know, people have been like, oh, you got to watch the fight, and I watched the fight, and I... I'd rather watch WWE. I know it's fake, but I like the theatrics, and I find it more entertaining. I, I, you know, I get it, yeah. but I understand why people love it, though. I do. Well, there's an artistic quality to the WWE. There's theater yes. there. The UFC is, to me, just the u- newest fad that comes along every ten years in North mm-hmm. America. Like there was the whole, like the new violent sport fad. There was the NASCAR thing. People loved crashes like fifteen years ago. Now there's violent UFC fights. What will be next? Mm. Well, um, UFC is so toned down from how it used to be. There used to be broken arms all the time and all that stuff. And then pride fighting in Japan became the new, real, holy moly, uh, three seconds into the fight, that guy knocked the other guy out with a roundhouse kick to the face. Like, it was mind-blowing. So it's so much softer than it used to be. Well, it was not soft this weekend. Um, in 2013... Um, are we going backwards for? Hang on one second. Here. Do we have both no, clips? Just, just, yeah, I got them. Just read. Okay, you're all good. Okay, just read. read. <laughs> okay, got it. Shut up and read, Shane. Uh, in 2013, Anderson Silva broke his shin bone from a leg kick on Chris Weedman. He kicked him, and his leg broke. This weekend at UFC 261, Weedman suffered the exact same injury. It happened in the first 17 seconds of the fight, as Weedman threw a leg kick on his opponent Uriah Hall. Weedman's tibia landed on Hall's knee, resulting in the break, breaking it in half. Oh. Here it is. Watch this. Joe, where did it land? Oh, my God. Joe, where did it land? Right below the knee. Look at this. I'm not going to look, Joe. Just tell me. 
It was lit, it mirrored. Oh God! Oh my God! Okay, um, I wish I had a video of Ryan's face the first time he saw that when I introduced him to it earlier today. Nope, nope, can't do it. I can't do it. It's one thing to see it in a movie or even that, but to watch it live in a fight, it, and it's just like if you've seen Harry Potter too. There's a scene where Harry Potter's bone turns to like jelly, and his arm is like a noodle, and then he has to drink a potion to fix it. His leg looked like the noodle, and I just mm, nope. We've seen it in football before, but that exact same thing happened in a fight with Weedman to Silva eight years ago. Here's a clip. Watch this. He checks it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's about as obvious as it gets. And as I told you, John, John Donaher. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Now, the, the hard part is that in the adrenaline of the fight, I'm assuming they don't, they know something's gone wrong, but they don't really know. And then they try to stand up and that's where it gets disgusting. And so just to recap the irony of all of this. So Weedman fights Silva eight years ago. Weedman wins the title because Silva breaks his leg over Weedman's eight years later. Weedman is defending the title. And breaks his leg the exact same way over someone else's. Man. So Silva posted this to Instagram. He's like 46 or something now. My deepest and most sincere sentiments, champ. Have faith. I wish you a speedy recovery. In this moment, I wish you and your family light, love, and knowledge. To the fans of the sport, please respect this moment as incredible warrior. And let's wish that he is 100% recovered very soon. May God bless you and your family. At Chris Weedman. And there's only one person, I think, who really knows what that would be like to go through. And it would be the dude. Like, watching that fight and seeing it happen after you've been through it would probably make you sick to your stomach. I mean, okay? I, I'm sick to my stomach even just thinking about it. So, yeah, I can't even imagine having, like, a personal attachment to an injury. I imagine a hockey player feels the same thing when they're on the bench and see a player get hit and they know what the, you know, the recovery that they're going to have to go through, if they can relate to that, that cannot be easy. Did you notice the snapping sound in the very first clip? Yes. Yes, I did, Shane. Thank you very much. I did. Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering if you wanted to hear it again or not. I, we probably shouldn't. That's probably enough. I think that, that we probably should just let that go. Hey. <sighs> Now I have to cover my ears. Thank you for the text, Allie. 877-399-9898. I think it's just time that we should probably just let that one go because that's I got the heebie-jeebies now. You guys okay? Ready? Move on? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All I right. want to laugh, not cringe. Right. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you okay with big costumes? Like how big? Big. Oh, this is big. Like you know the Tyrannosaurus Rex ones, the inflatable ones. The inflatables. That yeah, big. those are amazing. I love those I love things, okay. and I want one so bad. My, my Carter has one. Really? Well, he's already the height of a T Rex. So, the, like that on him, that must be <laughs> insane. Seeing that go down the street. He does not have arms like a T Rex. My God, what a wingspan! Um, I swear, to God, he can scratch his toes without even bending over. His arms are so long. He's a, you know, he's like noodles actually. 
All right, I love them. I think they're great. A California man is going all out for charity in a giant bear costume. He's walking from L.A. to San Francisco, which is not a short trip, by the way, uh, that can take over a week. According to Cron4 News, Jesse Leroy, Larios, says he does not know exactly what inspired him to dress up as the character he named Bear Son and start the 400-mile trip, but he's happy to see all the positive reception. He doesn't even know why. <laughs> Should we go back to the pot conversation? He visits gas stations for meals and to clean up and sleeps inside the suit. <laughs> Keep in mind throughout this entire interview with uh, Cron News 4, this man is in a giant bear costume. I, d- I just do, honestly, it's, uh, I always do wacky stuff like that. I've always been like that. Uh, and it was just an idea I just came up with. Uh, I, I ran the LA Marathon wearing the same suit last year. Oh, get out. And I had a lot of fun. So, you know, yeah. So I, I sat on it for a while. Like, okay, what else could I do, you know? Or, you know, so it was pretty much uh, my, my enjoyment. So if I understand you know, it. Just to put it very... Uh, Direct. If I understand it right, you didn't have any particular like <laughs> cause or something you were out to you know spread the word about. You just started walking, and people started seeing you on the street, started following you. You've got this following. Wait, but he's a, raising money. You're, you're raising, raising money, money, but you don't know what for just yet, huh? Yes. Exactly. Uh, it, no, no I'm, I'm being very truthful. You know, like I, I always wanted to do something to like uh, give back. You know. It, it, either like uh, the community or just anybody yeah. so i figured like you know what let me just raise some money while i'm doing this too you know if if, if uh if i get the attention like why not and then uh, i want to obviously like i'm going to choose a non-profit once i get to san francisco but i'm gonna let the people decide mm-hmm. i'm gonna put like a survey on my instagram and then people could go in there and be like okay you know let's let, oh. Let's give it to this nonprofit or this. Wait, so uh, how, how much do you have so far? Or donated here. So. Do you know? Have you checked it, Bear? Can you can you go but to this? Can you check a computer? Does the phone work with your paws? Why did she keep calling him Bear? His, <laughs> she wasn't using his name. He, he was addressing him as Bear. That's so weird. I think it's cool, man. He's just out. This he's like he's like Forrest Gump. I think I'm done running. I want to go home now. So, I mean, I think that's cool. I think he's open up front. He's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I got $16,000. I'll donate it. You can decide where it goes to when we get there. That's pretty wicked. How do we get Ryan an inflatable suit? Oh, you don't have to convince me. I'll just buy it. I'll wear it. I'll go to Don, you know Don's Hobby Shop in Calgary and just look for the biggest one I can find and throw it on. I saw when I moved into this neighborhood, I saw someone running down the streets throwing like candy canes at people within one of those costumes. So they are I'd like to join loud. in on that. But they're nice and warm though inside because the fan keeps the air in, right? So oh, that's count pretty me good. in. All right. There it is. We got to, uh, if you want to vote for what kind of inflatable animal you would like Ryan to climb into, uh, please pass it on now. It's the Shift Podcast. HandyAndyMedia.com uh, if you want to check him out online. Andy makes all kinds of videos. He does um, he does these how-to DIY projects and shares them with you. So if you're looking to put a little library in your neighborhood filled with books, 
uh, and he'll tell you how to do that. He'll also how to tell you how to uh, be in the gray area of the law when you do it. I, I, yeah, I'm, 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 I live in the gray. Um, now you guys got me thinking. I should start making some cannabis videos: how to grow cannabis, how to consume cannabis without smoke. Because I have a great tip for people out there that want a healthy way to consume it. That um, that is really a medical way to consume cannabis that has really no ill effects. All right. Um, you make your videos, then we'll talk about it. Sounds like a great idea. I mean, it's not my thing, so I don't pretend to have any uh, voice in that conversation at all. We are going to, we, last week, we didn't get a chance to talk about your broken robot because your yes. broken robot, um, your robot died. Your robot has a doghouse and it, it died and you had to fix your lawnmower, which was the robot lawnmower. We didn't get a yes. chance to talk about that, but since we're talking about robots today, can, yeah. can we talk about the lawnmower and the, can, the broken lawnmower? What happened? Can, I don't see. This is why I'm handy, Shane, because everything in my life breaks down and I'm left huh. going, oh, no, how am I going to fix this? Now, I have a robotic lawnmower. It's called the Husqvarna Automower. It's from Germany. It's probably the best tech product I've ever, ever reviewed in my life. Changed my life, in fact. However, here's how it works. To get this robot to work in your lawn, what you have to do is install this, this wire around the perimeter of your house or your property. And then it knows exactly where it is as it's, as it's kind of going by. So you, if you have a fence, you would put this around the perimeter of your fence. And then the robot knows, okay, this is where I am. And then it has a base station where it goes to charge. Very similar to like a Roomba. However... Um, you know, spring is here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to kickstart the robot and it wouldn't start. And I get this error message saying no loop signal. And what that means is somewhere on my property, the, the wire is broken somewhere. And this wire is now underground. It's like about four inches underground. So somewhere across this property, there's a broken wire and I have no idea where it is. So I do what any normal person would do. I start Googling it. Like, I can't be the only one that's had this problem. It turns out, Shane, you can buy this tool. It's, it's an underground wire finder. And here's how it works. It has a little, you put a little 9-volt um, battery to it, and, you, and it has a little clip, and you clip one end of the wire. This is where it would go into the base station. So you put a clip there. Then you have this other thing. It's almost like a wand. And you, you walk around above the ground and it uses an AM frequency signal to detect if it can hear that wire, the electricity under the wire. So hmm. I was literally for half a day just walking. My neighbors thought I was crazy because this thing makes a little sound like a, like a buzzing sound. And you have to listen to the nuances of the buzz to know where the break is in the wire. So I was going around in circles listening to this. It's just like a, a static AM frequency sound. And I just kept going. If I if I I was like, "Oh, something sounds weird here." So I start digging. It's like, "No, that you know, the wire is intact." And I just kept going in circles and circles, and lo and behold, I found it. I think it was a crow. You know how they go, go into the grass to get those beetles? I think it 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 actually bit the the wire and broke it off. But using this underground wire locator, I was able to fix my lawnmower and it's working. And I, I am a very, very happy man because this is back-to-back -back problems, Shane. First, it was my Wi-Fi went down and now my lawnmower. It's like, this is why, this is my life. I have, if, you know, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Well, there's two comments I would like to, to make to that. Number one is... Um... 
I'm very certain that this is not the reason why your neighbors think you're crazy. I can <laughs> promise you that. Um, I mean, this probably is evidence or confirmation for them, but I don't think this is the reason. And the other part is, is I love to how you call it, um, handy and DIY when let's be honest, it's frugal. That's what it is <laughs> because normal people would just go buy a new one. <laughs> you yeah, just well, fix it. You know, everything like that's really how I became a DIY guy in tech because everyone was like, Hey, Andy, my Wi-Fi doesn't work or I can't get Wi-Fi in my garage. How do I do it? And so I've had experienced this problem myself, you know, all my life. So I was always the guy that everybody would come to. And so now it's like anything. It could be any kind of tech problem, even gardening now. It's just like any kind of woodworking. I've just become that guy that everyone calls when their toilet, you know, doesn't or they've got a jam in their toilet or their sink is plugged. They call me first. And I I don't understand. We have YouTube. Everyone can do this. But for some reason, people rather just have someone fix it for them. But it's very rewarding when you have a big problem and you don't know the solution, you do the research, you tr- you get out of your comfort zone, and then you fix it. It, it, it is yeah. a really rewarding thing. And my That's dad, so to this day, my dad's always like, how do you know how to do this stuff? I never taught you this. And I'm like, dad, YouTube. You got you to gotta go on YouTube. Now he watches YouTube too. Oh, that's awesome. I uh, I do like this. Be careful what you wish for. You're going to get a bunch of requests on the website of, uh, hey, how do I fix this? And Ryan O'Donnell, has, uh, he had the uh, Lunami a few weeks ago where his toilet backed up, and then his neighbor had a leak above him last night. So um, careful what you wish for with people asking for your help because well, Ryan I'll just will call give a you. Tip. I'll just give a tip. Most people, when they get a plug either in their toilet or in their sink, the first thing they do is grab Drano, and they just start throwing Drano down. All you need to do is get a really good plunger. Plunger is the first thing you want to do. A little, especially if it just suddenly noticed a plug, you just give it a couple of pumps, and that air pressure. I I watched a video on how plungers work. It's fascinating. The air pressure and it just pushes it in, and boom, takes that blockage out. And I feel bad when people like you know tell me to come and fix their their like toilet or or their sink that's plugged, and I come in there with a plunger and just go doop doop, and then it's fixed. And they're like, oh. They look, they, they feel so stupid, but I'm like, you know, don't use Drano. Drano is actually like one of the last resorts you do when you, a snake hasn't worked, a plunger hasn't worked, you know, it's that. Well, it's chemicals the in the water fruit. too. Yeah. yeah we can just, be responsible too. Right. Um, absolutely. I, I, uh, this is, this is good. This is awesome. So, uh, handy Andy, um, frugal Andy, and, uh, he'll help you plunge the toilet. So there you go. Um, <laughs> How, how many Andy, guys? Andy. How many guys? How many guys are there that can fix your Wi-Fi and your toilet at the same time? See, I'm like this rare breed of of skills. So, I was like, <laughs> you know, like I, I was like, do I really come out and tell people that I'm handy, or do I stay as the tech guy that I just fix tech? But now I was like, you know what? I'm like Diana Ross. I'm coming out. I can, you know, if it's broken, <laughs> I'll Google it and then I'll fix it. <laughs> there it that is. That should be my All slogan. Right. And that's true. Yeah, that's right. Let me Google it and then we'll fix it. That's what radio engineers do all the time. All right. So let's, um, let's, uh, let's get into more of these robots because robots are everywhere. We've got about five minutes left here. So, uh, you know, taking our jobs. That was one of the questions that, uh, that I was asked tonight by Charles Adler. He says, you think a robot's going to take your job one day? And I'm like, oh, God, I hope not. Uh, no, no. You got a lot of personality until they can have, until the AI can actually be like, you know, um, you know, have a personality and be charming like you, I think your, your job's going to be pretty safe. But <laughs> nice. here's, I know we don't have much time. Sorry, I keep talking. So um, 
Here's what you need to know about robots. They are entering the workplace. However, they're not taking away jobs. They're actually creating jobs. Stats Canada finds that companies and firms that have or bring robotics into their workplace, within one to five years, they actually hire 20% more employees. However, it's the middle skilled employees that are losing their job, middle managers. It's the low, what, what ends up happening is employers will get lower skilled workers and higher skilled workers. So anybody that's in the middle, what they really need to do, and Canada needs to have this strategy because automation is becoming a huge thing, is to upskill those middle managers because there's a lot of jobs out there that are, are going to be gone because robots can just do a way better job. Like picking apples. They got robots that can actually look at an apple, use the AI and know when it's ripe, and then has a vacuum that will suck it right off the tree. And, and they even have robots that will plant seeds in greenhouses and it can take it out of the tray and drop it into the soil at the perfect level of depth. And it can do 18,000 transplants in a day. I guarantee wow. you can't find a human that could do that. Well, I can add to my buddy Sean has a project called Harvest Hub. And, and what they're doing is indoor vertical farming. And they're very similar where they can use spectrum analysis to uh, the soil and humidity to replicate that plant's perfect growing environment. And so much so, it's not lights on, lights off like you and I talk about. We're talking yeah. like spectrum 10%, 20%, sunrise, sunset. Um, to the left and to the right and above. Like, it's amazing what they're using inside that for some basic AI to read the plants, adjust the humidity, uh, make it, make the plants think the sun is setting. It's crazy. They even had, there's a company in actually in Alberta that, uh, that's called Spence Corrosion and they use robots to blast and coat tanks and vessels because sandblasting in confined spaces, you know, is really dangerous for humans dangerous, because yeah. of the dust, the darkness and the, and the lack of oxygen. So, Robots are coming. They're here to stay, but you don't have to worry. You're not going to lose your job unless you're a middle manager. You should probably get some upskilling. Okay. So tell me about some of the robots at home that we can uh, take advantage of. So two robots that I would say, obviously the robotic lawnmowers, I'm a huge fan for that. Um, the other ones that I thought was kind of a novelty item, but they actually work because I have one are these new robotic vacuums. The biggest problem with those vacuums, the Roombas of the world for a long time, is it, it would pick up dirt, but it, it has a little tiny capsule where all the dirt gets stuck. So you still have to empty that. They figured it out once they created a base station where the robot, after it's done the vacuuming, it will go into its base station and that sucks it right out, all the dirt out and puts it into a bag. And then the app will give you an alert when the bag is full and all you got to do is change the bag. So I did this, I've had it for about a year now and I've changed this bag once. And wow. I love it because every time I wake up in the morning, Shane, I set it for like three in the morning. So when I wake up, you know, you see those perfect lines in the carpet. Um, I, I absolutely love it. And so robot vacuums can, but you have to robot vacuum proof your home because you can't have stuff on the ground. They don't have the AI yet to see dirty socks and to like maneuver away from it. So those are one of the things that you have to look out for, but they actually do work and um, they can be a good investment for people. And they're going to be coming. You'll see more and more of them in the future, even some to clean your windows. There'll be robots that you can just stick on your window and it'll just start window washing all your windows, which will be good for skyscrapers and hard to reach windows. Wow. Um, if you could pick one thing that you need in your house for a robot to do, though, what would that be, do you think? Oh, before I die, Shane, I said this. I go, before I die, all I want is a robot that can make me an omelet. Once I get that, 
that's a game changer. Could you imagine? We already talked about how to get coffee, you know, via voice using, you know, your voice activated smart speaker. But imagine waking up and you have a robot that gives you a fresh omelet, nice cup of coffee. You know, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. That, before I go, that's that's the one thing I want to see in this world. Yeah, handyandymedia.com handyandy uh, Barar. check them out online go to the website and for me it's the delivery of the coffee that's the big thing or the omelet right like I can that's fine that I can turn the coffee on but I still got to go all the way to the kitchen to get it and it's the ultimate of laziness I understand that but the day the coffee shows up next to me in the bed that is the good day Andy thank you very much brother my pleasure this is the shift podcast one of my favorite things about this job, I think, is the, the people I get to meet. And there is a gentleman, oh God, it's probably been three or four years now, Dwayne, that we've been chatting on the radio. Yeah. Been a long time. Um, and I really appreciate you because political science for me is something that I really don't understand. I think you've taught me a lot about different ways to look at things without a political lens and look at, uh, this is my, my words, not yours, the game of politics. Mm -hmm. the impact of the game of politics as a system. And so Dwayne Brad joins me now to chat about uh, so many things. And I've learned more, which includes the amount of work that goes into the back room, background as a political scientist. So Dwayne Brad's a professor, uh, political science, Department of Economics, Justice, uh, Policy Studies, Mount Royal University. It's surprising that he actually has free time every now and then. Um, but Dwayne, you've been doing some work on the side here and because I guess we sort of take for granted that you don't have, as political scientists, scient scientists or scientists, don't have things that you want to accomplish outside of teaching it. Um, and you've been doing some work in the background. Can you tell me what kind of work you've been doing? Yeah. So I just completed this large study looking at energy, environment policy in Canada, but through the lens of federalism. And where this stems from is about a year ago, I published a piece looking at Alberta's climate leadership plan um, that Notley, uh, former Premier Rachel Notley had introduced, and that was the carbon tax and the coal phase out, methane uh, reduction, cap on oil sands development, and looking at the transformation when Jason Kenney came in. And one of the interesting things of the study is, well, so much attention has been on the carbon tax, and we can talk more about that. And Jason Kenney repealed that. But everything else that was in Notley's plan, Kenney has either maintained or has, in fact, expanded. So the coal phase out uh, was expanded. Um, a, a stronger emission standard for heavy emitters in the oil sands came in under under Kenny. And so it was really fascinating to see what was occurring sort of publicly and what was going on really importantly behind the scenes. And there was a lot of stuff, even though it was a focus on Alberta, there was a focus on what was going on in BC and a focus that was going on in Ottawa. And it's like, this is a bigger issue. So let's go beyond Alberta, let's look at it from a country-wide position. And so I came about it in two ways. The first was, why is this important? 
um, energy environment policy. And one of the reasons is obviously environmental considerations are very important. Climate change matters. And if we don't address climate change, it is going to have a dramatic impact, not just on the environment, but the economic consequences of that. So we need to work together on the environment. We also need to work together on energy as our largest export sector, uh, an industry that employs hundreds of thousands of people across the country, not just in Alberta, because if you consider not just oil and gas, but hydroelectricity and um, uh, nuclear energy and solar, like these are two really important files. So it's really critical that we work together. The problem is we don't. And there's been too many fights over these sorts of policies. So, and these could be, you know, the fight over the Trans Mountain Pipeline between Alberta and BC, a fight over the National Energy Program between Ottawa and Alberta, a fight over hydroelectricity back in the 60s between Newfoundland and Quebec oh, over yeah. Churchill and that Falls. was mind blowing. That one mind blowing. So. This is not a new phenomenon. This is a really complicated phenomenon that goes back pretty much to Confederation. So the first part of the paper is to try to explain why it exists. And I look at the Constitution, um, which puts um, energy development in the hands of the provinces unless it crosses provincial lines, which then goes to the federal government. So you can see where we have a problem here. Yeah. Um, and the other is that the environment is in neither provincial or federal jurisdiction because John A. MacDonald and the rest of the guys back in 1867 really didn't give much thought to the environment. Yeah. So it is kind of this middle ground. And most recently, the Supreme Court has said, well, on climate change, because it crosses boundaries, it is so important, we're going to put that in federal jurisdiction. Although, unfortunately, I'd written my report <laughs> prior to that decision. So the Constitution matters, but it's not the only thing. What also matters is what type of energy is produced in each province. So when you think about oil and natural gas, it's Alberta with a little bit in Saskatchewan, a little bit in BC, and some in, in Newfoundland. It's not even across the country. And we often say, you know, in Alberta, yeah, Alberta has a lot, but but there's some here, some there, but 90% of it's produced by Alberta. So it's concentrated here. Mm -hmm. But then you go to a place like Ontario and a place like Quebec, and they don't have oil and gas production, but they consume it. So we've got these differences across the country, which means the interests of the provinces are very much different. I think there was a lot of consistency um, on Trans Mountain Pipeline, for example, whether you were Allison Redford, Jim Prentice, Rachel Notley, or Jason Kenney. Very different premiers, but they all supported the pipeline because it was in Alberta's interest. BC, Christy Clark originally opposed it. Um, John Horgan opposed it. Two very different premiers of two very different parties because the interests of BC were different from the interests in Alberta. So the first part of the paper, and it's a long paper, <laughs> is to try to frame the problem. Mm -hmm. And that I think is important because we don't really understand the nature of the problem across the, across the country. Well, we, we don't 
we don't understand the nature of the problem. And, and as we look at all the things that are going on right now, you know, when it comes to PPE and COVID and all those other things, I think that there seems to be a pattern being exposed here is we may not have the answer of things not being the same across the country. You know, when you look at it from that federalism approach, though, can you start to see that the things that become a problem that we're not aligned in, for example, like we don't have independence in any of these conversations, right? Like we don't, Canada's not independent. Um, So from the federal perspective, it would seem to be, like you said, like Ontario's dependent on other provinces for oil and gas just by nature. And then at the same time, Alberta say would be dependent on the hydroelectric electricity from Manitoba and BC and all these other places. Um, Not quite accurate, but in spirit. So, I mean, do we find that this lack of independence on an international scale creates cohesiveness provincially? Well, Canada's a tough country. Like, we, we, it's the second largest geographic country in the world, but also a very low population country, you know, of only 37 million people. And that adds to it. Um, in the complexity of, of this country. We've got cleavages on language. We've got cleavages on religion, which is why federalism as a concept makes a lot of sense, you know, that there should be some things that should be centralized. Like we should have one criminal code. We should have one currency. We should have one military. But there's other things like education that should be much more localized. The problem is as society has become more complicated, it's tough to put these things in watertight compartments. Look at COVID. Who is responsible for COVID restrictions? It's the provincial government. Healthcare is a provincial matter. Who is in charge of getting vaccines? The federal government. Who is in charge of border restrictions? The federal government. So, you you get this this clash of issues. So both Doug Ford in Ontario and Jason Kenney in Alberta, who are seeing massive spikes and and huge debates about the sort of restrictions that occur in the province, their first go to is, well, this wouldn't be a problem if if Justin Trudeau had just given us the vaccines that we need. And Justin Trudeau says, I'm giving everybody the same vaccines. Why does Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, why have they been able to reopen the economy? Uh, Why are things good in the Yukon? Because they have rolled things out. uh, and They've contained cases and deaths and hospitalizations. And you other provinces have it. So you get a lot of finger pointing when you've got a split in jurisdiction. And that is... That is definitely occurring. So I was focusing on energy and the environment, but I could have easily done this on healthcare, or for that matter, the next battle over federalism, and it starts this week, is over childcare. Um, because uh, this is provincial jurisdiction. Childcare is provincial jurisdiction, but the federal government has money. So the federal government says, we will fund childcare in your province 50-50. So we'll give you billions of dollars to implement a daycare system of $10 a day. You've got to provide the other 50%. And the premiers are going, okay, how about you just give us the money instead and we'll design a program just for our local interests. 
And Justin Trudeau is going, well, no, I'm not just giving you a blank check. I'm giving right. you a check with, with conditions. And so it illustrates some of those tensions with, with federalism. Well, so what I hear from this, um, and this is why I appreciate you because you give me the proper language and vocabulary around it, is I hear too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like at 50-50, who decides makes the final decision, right? I mean, that that's that's one piece. I mean, we look at things like oil and gas is oil and gas, like you said, regional impact, but we probably should be looking at it from the perspective of Canadian energy and put those into... Um, you know, at least one grouping, and then it takes away the um, regional part a little bit. I, you say about childcare, my immediate take on the childcare conversation was, we can't figure out long-term care homes. And you talk about provinces, municipalities, and federals there. I mean, that's another conversation that that is clearly going to have to happen on a federal scale to figure that one out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'll make make a couple comments on this because I don't want to sound negative to federalism. I, I think there are some real strengths in having this uh, divisions of power. We'll start with child care. Where did it begin, this whole idea of $10 a day daycare? Province of Quebec. They experimented with it. They implemented it. Then it worked. And, and there's no one denying that it is not working in Quebec. So then it would be, okay, it's worked in Quebec. Why not extend it to other parts of the country? Just like healthcare started in the province of Saskatchewan. We didn't have socialized medicine before the early 1960s. And finally, Tommy Douglas in Saskatchewan said, that's crazy. We're going to do it here. And the other provinces go, oh, geez, that makes a lot of sense. And quickly it adapted. Carbon taxes began in the province of British Columbia. Uh, the former liberal government, which is more conservative in BC, which complicates things. Gordon Campbell introduced a carbon tax consumer-wide. Next thing you know, Alberta's doing it, right? So having a decentralized federation allows for these laboratories of experiments. Mm. And when they work, then we should be adapting them across the, across the country. Okay, so you've presented me with something else. When we look at capitalism in general, competition becomes, you know, a, a great tool to create and innovate and get prices down. And that's just what I heard when you said about the provinces innovating is because provinces would love people to move to their province and fill their tax base, more members, right? Yeah. Um, and so why wouldn't a province say, well, let's make this more appealing so we can have all of the carpenters or all of the IT folks or pick your industry come to our province. So that seems to me to be kind of exciting. But when we talk about federalism, we I think that we seem to run into this, this piece of the size of government, taxes, inflation, all of those pieces of the puzzle. One of the questions is, of course, is will taxes go up if we have these national programs, i.e., childcare or long-term care homes and so on. With federalism, though, are we at the risk from that political science view of one political party running the federal government and making government too big or too small for it to be efficient? And then that just screws it up for everybody? You often hear this, it would be more efficient if we had one order of government. Right. And it's not because, oh, we're paying taxes to Ottawa and to our province. So therefore, there's duplication. No, if you only had one, you would be paying more to that one order of government than dividing. But there might be some cost savings through through efficiency. The question is, if you're in a place like Alberta, is that something you want? 
you know, or do you like the fact that you've got some autonomy within your own province? And in fact, Jason Kenney and the UCP are talking about how to increase our autonomy, like our own provincial police force or our own pension plan. Whether you like those ideas or not, those are debates that we can we can have. And I don't think Canada could have ever functioned. It never would have come become a country in the first place 150 odd years ago if we didn't have this sort of decentralized environment. The question is, to what extent do we decentralize? To what extent do we centralize? And I don't want a whole lecture on the history of federalism, mm -hmm. but we have gone through periods of decentralization and federal and centralization and decentralization and centralization over this 150 year time period. There are times that we really want a strong federal government and times that we really want strong provincial governments. Mm. All right. So Dwayne Bratt, uh, political scientist, overall wicked dude. Um, now, Dwayne, you've done this work inside this conversation um, for, you know, Positive Energy, I think is the title of it. It's with the University yeah. of Ottawa, uh, plus your work. You're with Mount Royal. Um, if you could summarize federalism and energy for us and the, the landscape of it, we always get tangled up in the individual pieces, like you mentioned. You mentioned Trans yeah. Mountain. I would go uh, as far as to add some of the other uh, somewhat expired conversations like East-West pipe Pipeline, um, and then as well the Line 5 going down through America, um, this sort of individual squabbles, if you will. Yeah. Um, so from with all of those things in mind, because that's usually how we all see it as you know Canadians, how can you help us understand the state of it with your report? So, so far we've been talking about the problems. Yeah. Now let's talk about the solutions. Great. What are the ways that we can solve this sort of cooperation? And I, I bring it down into three concepts, what I call multilateralism, which is Ottawa working with all the provinces together. That's really tough. Anytime you have that many levels of government, it, it's tough. But I will provide some examples of where that has worked. The second is bilateral, either between provinces or between Ottawa and a particular province. And then the third is unilateral action, things that a, a single province can do or things that a single federal government can do. So I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. On unilateralism, there are lots of things that can be done. Um, so it was the, the BC government, for example, that um, brought in a carbon tax. It was the province of Ontario that um, brought in the, the first major coal phase out, right? These are unilateral actions, and I would encourage the provinces to use unilateral action. When the federal government tries to do unilateral action, they get into difficulty. You know, when they try to ram through the Kyoto Protocol or the National Energy Program, that doesn't work very well. But there are moments with the federal spending power that they can, for example, pay orphan well cleanups. That couldn't have been done without federal money. So there are moments that unilateral action can play. Bilateral is when you have cooperation between them. So the development of the oil sands, there were two key moments uh, for this. The first was in the mid-1970s. Um, uh, the Alberta government was working on a deal with a series of private companies, some that were American, to try to do the first stages of development in the oil sands. The, some of those private companies uh, pulled out. 
So how did they get the investment in? Alberta was a very small province back then. That investment came from Canada, led by a, a minister by the name of Jean Chrétien, and the Ontario government, led by Bill Davis, pumped money into the oil sands in the mid-1970s. If that hadn't occurred, we wouldn't have the bonanza of wealth that emerged out of Fort McMurray since. The other moment was in the mid-1990s where there was a stall in the oil sands, and so they changed the tax regime, um, and that involved negotiations, again, ironically, with a liberal government led by Jean Chrétien and the Klein government. They were able to work together. So two, we often see Ottawa and Alberta always fighting. Two absolutely critical moments in our history, a liberal government and a conservative government in Alberta work together. But we've forgotten some of that history. Um, Saskatchewan and Manitoba have worked on a hydro deal. Manitoba Hydro being imported into Saskatchewan. New Brunswick and Quebec have just signed an agreement around hydro that would go through New Brunswick from Quebec into New England, into the United States. These are all positive examples of, of bilateralism um, that, that can happen. And then on the multilateralism, this is the rarest because getting 11 governments on the same page I'm not even sure they could agree what day of the week it is, but there are moments in time when that can occur. And the pan-Canadian framework, which created a consumer-based carbon tax across Canada that the Trudeau government brought in in 2017, there was a window of opportunity of how they could do that. There were four provinces, the four largest provinces, Quebec, Ontario, Alberta, and BC already had some form of pricing of carbon. So it was easy for Trudeau, who had campaigned on this, to work with the provinces and, and implement it. You had a Barack Obama uh, administration uh, at, the, at the beginning um, that was favorable to it. You had the Paris Accord. So there was a series of, uh, of events that created a window of opportunity. Now, some of that has broken away. Uh, Doug Ford replaces Kathleen Wynne, um, Jason Kenney replaces Rachel Notley, and the consensus breaks apart. But the agreement that they had, some of that has remained. So it is important for prime ministers to recognize these rare, and I emphasize rare moments where there's an opportunity of building a large coalition, take full advantage of that. Um, but that is the toughest. I think the bilateral and the unilateral actions, which sounds small, but you know, a small step followed by another small step and another small step, it will still get you to the finish line. It may take a bit longer, but you'll get there instead of trying to sprint it, which you could turn an ankle or twist a knee or right. It makes me it makes me feel sad, Dwayne, when you say that because I hear a couple of things. Well, I hear irony. I hear irony that Quebec is asking New Brunswick to let power go through when fifty years or so ago that was the whole argument where to get to to get to America, like Quebec wants power lines to go through New Brunswick to sell to America, which is what Newfoundland wanted from Quebec to do, yeah. and Quebec wouldn't do it. Right to the point yeah. where the the Newfoundland government was paying, you know, per gigajoule. Um, out of their own pocket just so there was jobs like that 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 is mind-blowing to me but it makes me feel sad that yeah. all of the politicking 
around this stuff. For example, if the NDP government in Alberta did do a few things for oil and gas, and then the conservative government, the UCP government, just won't acknowledge them, quietly keeping them, hey, by the way, that was a pretty good idea that they had over there. Let's just keep that one. That those politics are getting in the way of our success. And am I hearing that wrong? Am I being selfish here? Am I being pessimistic? No. Uh, and I've been talking about policy, but you can't, you can't divorce policy from politics. Yeah. And that's why you get these, these strange bedfellows at times or the refusal to acknowledge that you're doing something the same as someone else. And I'll just, one of the examples I always talk about is the GST, the introduction of the GST. Jean Chrétien fights the 93 election, promising to scrap the GST. Uh, demonizes Brian Mulroney for bringing in the GST. Brian Mulroney is hated across the country for bringing in the GST. We're 30 years later, nobody's talking about scrapping the GST. They realized that bringing in the GST was the right thing to do. It, it, um, it replaced a previously bad tax. It paved the road for balanced budgets and surpluses that the Liberals had in the 1990s and that the Harper government had in the mid-2000s. Um, so they were all thankful for, for Brian Mulroney for bringing in the GST, even while they were crushing him in 1992 and 1993. And so, yeah, those, those sorts of things happen. In I, I referenced Tommy Douglas bringing in Medicare. The biggest opponents to Medicare in Saskatchewan at that moment in time were the Saskatchewan doctors. Saskatchewan doctors went on strike opposing Medicare. If you were to go around Canada today, some of the strongest advocates of Medicare are doctors. Yeah. Right? And so... Times change, things change, but um, it's how to manage policy and politics. And uh, there's an art to it. There's a skill to it. Dare I say there's a science to it, but it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Well, integrity is a big word, and maybe I'm a dreamer when I would think that somebody who could run in politics would have the courage to compliment another politician's work. Um. Maybe I'm a dream. No, they do that after they're gone. After they're gone. Yeah. But after they they're gone. It, it, it's like, you know, the, the, the famous story, people would love to be at their own funeral. Yeah. Because finally people would say nice things about yeah, them. That's a good you know, way in to describe their eulogies. It. Well, I guess but my problem dead. is we tend to watch, they tend to watch the cat fight in the street in the meantime while it's going on. And that's the part that I wish didn't happen. Well, uh, the congratulations on the paper. It's uh, very in-depth. And I I love the the lens that it takes and how the lens itself is a little bit of a template to many different problems uh, that are... um, that are going on in Canada. Did you want to thank, I mean, University of Ottawa is part of this. Is there anybody that you want to, you know, mention that I didn't get? Yeah, I, I would put the, the head of the, uh, the group, which is Monica Gattinger, uh, who is uh, the, the head of uh, the Positive Energy Work Group, uh, brilliant scholar out of Ottawa. And she, not only in her own right, but one of her great skills is bringing people together, bringing organizations together. So when you look at the funders, for example, of Positive Energy, she's got uh, a whole series of you know, provincial governments, federal governments, industry people um, all coming together to to try to do this and and my my study is one thing but others look at 
the environmental aspects or the indigenous aspects or the regulator aspect. Mine's one small piece of a larger puzzle that she has been able to, to put together. Dwayne Bratt, thank you very much, sir. You're welcome, Shane. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.